Welcome to the Encounter YA podcast, helping young adults follow Jesus. Here are your hosts, Garrett Cars and Annika Carter. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast as we interview owner of Casa de Paz, Sarah Jackson. Sarah is releasing a book all about her journey to open up her house to immigrants in Denver, Colorado, titled The House That Love Built. We are honored to have Sarah on today and to share her story right here on the podcast. Be sure to enter our giveaway on the Instagram to win a copy of Sarah's book available now on Amazon, Christian Bookstore, and more. So let's get into the interview. Hey everyone, we are so excited to welcome Sarah Jackson to the podcast. Sarah, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Cool. We're excited. Uh, We loved your book and we're going to talk about that in just a second, but we always start this podcast off with asking you if you were talking to young adults, um, what is one thing or one piece of advice that you uh, would give them? It's funny that you ask this because just yesterday I was thinking about this very question because I have a three-year-old niece. Her name is Gabby. And right now it's all fun and games, right? We go to the park, we go to the pond, we feed the ducks. But what about when she turns 12, 13, 14, 15, 16? What kind of impact do I want to have in her life? And I was reflecting on, on a gift from God, our intuition, our gut feeling, the Holy Spirit's um, prompting in our life. And the older I get, the more I appreciate my intuition, because when I listen to my intuition after consulting with people around me whom I'm tr- who I trust, it really rarely lets me down. And so I would encourage um, you to to learn your intuition, to listen to your intuition, to get to know your intuition and to realize it's a gift from God. And and it really uh, puts has put me in a position where when I listen and I'm obedient to that still small voice, the, the voice of the Holy Spirit. Um, It opens doors for me. It protects me from unnecessary pain. And so that's one thing that I really, really hope I'm able to model for my niece, Gabby, and and continue to stay true. My intuition, listen to to it and follow it. (laughs) Now, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, So we didn't want to waste any more time uh, because at the time uh, that this podcast will be out, your book will be officially out and available um, for people to buy. And we would love um, for everybody who's listening to go pick this up wherever you um, typically buy books. It'll be available, and um, the book is uh, uh, amazing, and it kind of originated from Sarah starting or an organization called Casa de Pez. Am I saying that right? I don't know. Oh, you okay. got like Dang eight of- I knew I was going to get it wrong. <laughs> I should have had you it's, say uh, it. Yeah, hopefully I, I can get it right. <laughs> that would um, be good. Yeah, it's Casa de Paz. Dang it. I should have asked you before. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> part- now you know. <laughs> now I do. Uh, in 2012, could you um, tell us more about your organization, how you started it, and kind of what the mission of it is? Yes. Casa de Paz means house of peace in Spanish. And eight years ago, 
my intuition, God, the Holy Spirit, uh, reminded me that that it that the family uh, that I was born into, my mom, my dad, my brother, and my sister, is the greatest gift that I've ever been given. And and there are so many families, not only in our city, in our state, in our country, but in our entire world that are separated and do not have this ability to be together. And that broke my heart. And it made me realize that I have this privilege to be with my family whenever I want, whenever I want, you know, and, and, and if, if I have that experience, I want to give that experience to as many families as possible. And that's where Casa de Paz was created. So basically, Eight years ago, I found out that there was an immigrant detention center in the city that I lived in, in Aurora, Colorado, and this detention center was separating families. So there are moms and dads in the detention center. There are children, uh, you know, 18, 19-year-old kids inside the detention center who are separated from their families. And I decided to move right across the street from that immigrant detention center and open up my one-bedroom apartment, and I called it Casa de Paz, House of Peace. And the original concept behind the home was to create a place where families could reunite and reconnect with one another. So when, an, I mean, I'll just like take a whole big step back. When when an immigrant um, is in a country, whether that's Guatemala or Cameroon, Africa, or Sri Lanka, wherever it is that they live in, and it's too dangerous for them to stay for whatever reason, maybe there's a war, maybe there is political persecution, maybe there's religious persecution, they can come to the United States and ask for asylum. And asylum is basically a protection that you can apply for that prevents you from being deported back to that very dangerous situation that you were fleeing from. And so when immigrants come to the United States and ask for asylum, what happens a lot of the time is that they are detained even though they lawfully present themselves at the border and, and are following all the right steps in the law, uh, they're detained and they are put into these immigrant detention centers. And when I realized that immigrants were being held in these detention centers and they did not have the ability to see their moms or their dads or their brothers or their sisters, that's when I knew I could do something about this. And that's why I opened up the doors to Casa de Paz, AKA my little one bedroom apartment. And we've been doing that ever since. Wow. That's amazing. So um, throughout the years since you opened in 2012, um, do you have an idea of how many people you guys have hosted? I do. So as of yesterday, we have hosted, let me see here. 3,093 immigrants um, in our home uh, from 76 different countries, so from all over the world. And, and not only do we, we host um, immigrants from, um, who have been released from this detention center, we also have families stay in the house as well who are driving in from out of town to visit their 
family or their friends who are locked up in the detention center. So that number is um, an, um, the total number of both immigrants who have been released from detention staying with us and also families who have come in from out of town to, um, to see their family. That's wow. awesome. So as you've hosted people from all over the world, um, what's something that has surprised you the most about the people that um, have stayed with you? Something that has surprised me the most. Well, I'll tell you the story. One one, one day, um, this was a few years ago, um, a lady was released from the immigrant detention center. She had won her asylum case and she was trying to get back to her family that was in Arkansas. She had family, um, a couple cousins in Arkansas, and, and she knew that she would have a, a place to live there. And and so when she was released from this detention center in, in Colorado, uh, she knew she needed to get from Colorado to Arkansas. Um, and, and the thing about immigrant detention centers is there are hundreds of these all over the country. And when you voluntarily present yourself at the border of the United States and Mexico or the United States and Canada, whatever, whatever border you're at, and you're detained, you can be transferred to a variety of different detention centers. You could be sent here to Colorado or to Texas or to uh, Chicago or to New York. There's really no rhyme or reason. And so you're just transferred and you're you're waiting there indefinitely until the judge makes a determination on your case whether you win or you lose. And so when folks are put into these detention centers they're oftentimes not close to their final destination. For example, this young woman her final destination was was Arkansas, not Colorado, but this is where she was sent to. So when she was released, uh, I walked over right across the street, you know, from from my apartment where I lived um, was the detention center. So I walked across the street and I introduced myself to her. I, I met her in the lobby of the detention center. I told her who I was. I told her that I lived right across the street and I asked her if she wanted to come over and and get a bite to eat uh, and I could help her get a bus ticket then we'd be able to, you know, make plans for her to get home and I could give her a ride to the bus station, make sure she got there safely. Um, and she was very grateful and appreciative because, you know, she was released from this detention center in an un, uh, unf unfamiliar place. She had never, she'd never even heard of Colorado before in her entire life. And now she's in a detention center in Colorado. She didn't know what would happen if she got out. And so she was released without any money without a cell phone, even if she had a phone, she couldn't call anyone. She didn't know anyone in Colorado. Um, and so when I came alongside her and, and offered to accompany her as she transitioned from detention to her final destination, she, she accepted and she said, yes. So I brought her over to the apartment and the first thing we did was call her family and they were so relieved to hear that she was okay and she was safe and that plans were being made to get her home. They looked for a bus ticket for her. They found a ticket that left the same day. So we were very excited and that she was going to get home ASAP. We filled a bag of um, a backpack uh, with some snacks and some fruit, some water bottles to keep her um, you know, her belly full on the journey home. And 
And like I mentioned, um, when when most immigrants are released from detention, they have no money. And so it's very difficult for them to get, you know, a plane ticket or a bus ticket uh, if they're if they have no no cash on them. And so um, I was just sort of expecting that, that she had no money. And we don't ever ask anyone, do you have money? You know, like <laughs> we don't want them to everything that we provide is free. Right. We're not charging for any of the things we don't charge for the plane tickets or the bus tickets or the food. So I just assumed she didn't have any money. And um, as as we were uh, dropping, I, I went, you know, to the bus station with her, pulled in and parked and we walked in and totally unfamiliar to her. You know, she'd, she'd never seen a Greyhound bus station. And, you know, I, I had only taken Greyhound one time in my life. And as we, we walk into the lobby, um, we, we get in line uh, to get her bus ticket printed out. And, and the, the guy at the station um, or the, the, the um, counter was just really helpful and was able to translate into Spanish everything that I was sharing with her because it was critical information on transfers and making sure she caught her bus on time. Um, I showed her where the gate was that she'd be leaving out of and her bus didn't leave for a couple of hours. So, so we sat down together and we just started talking and just so natural, right? It's not forced. It's not like um, you, you have a script, an interview that you're trying to find, you know, answers to the questions that you have. It was just very natural conversation. And, and, um, you know, a couple hours pass and, and then, a, a employee gets to the front of the door, the gate where she's going to be boarding her bus and says, I mean, they didn't really say all aboard, but I like to think that that's what they said, but they probably <laughs> like, like get in line, you know, and and so we got her backpack and I walked her to the line and 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 she gave me this really, really big hug and just said, thank you so much. And once again, like I said, I spent a, a few hours with her and I was just meeting, oh, you know, once stranger and now I considered her to be a friend. And and as we were, you know, hugging and, and finally, um, you know, pulling ourselves away, uh, she reached out and she shook my hand and, and she shook my hand for like quite a while. And I didn't, didn't quite understand why we were shaking hands for so long. And it was almost to that point of like, you know, where it's like a little awkward and uncomfortable and you're like, just let go of my hand. <laughs> like <laughs> this is, I'm good here, you know, but she was holding onto it very tight. Um, and, and then finally, as we separated our hands, it made sense what was happening because I looked inside of the palm of my hand and she had somehow transferred this really scrunched up, um, wrinkled $10 bill. Um, and that was all of the money that she had to her name. And, and I originally, you know, when, when she first gave me the, the $10, I, 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 I refused. And I said, no, no, no. Like, this is your money. Please keep it. You can get a snack on your way to Arkansas. It's a long journey. Uh, you can get some coffee or whatever. Um, and she refused. She, she insisted that I take the $10. Um, and, and as I be, we began talking about it, I realized that it wasn't a gift for me. <laughs> it wasn't to reimburse me for the gas that I had spent on the way down to the bus station. It wasn't to help pay the bills. Basically, at the end of the day, she was giving me that $10 so that I could give it to the next guest who stayed at Casa de Paz with me. Um, and 
for me, I think that's been one of the most surprising things is the absolute generosity of the folks who stay in my home with me. And I mean, talk about real life biblical examples living out right in front of your eyes, the widow's might, right? She gave everything that she had. And that was a huge sacrifice versus the person who was standing right next to her and only gave you know, a a few percentages of what the wealth that they had acquired, she gave it all. And I just remember in that moment thinking, oh my goodness, like I am watching the Bible come to life, like in real time. That's, that's crazy and awesome and exciting and such a privilege to be a part of something like that. That's amazing. That's amazing. So uh, you did have mentioned kind of watching the uh, the Bible unfold, but beyond just that, how has your faith influenced um, the way that you um, do your work and the way that you think and view immigration? Well, and I, I get into this a little bit in the book, but the first year or so after starting the Casa, I, I, I basically was surrounded by so much pain and suffering watching families be torn apart, watching mothers cry because they couldn't be with their children, watching children suffering because their mother was taken from their home and wondering if they would ever see them again. And I began to doubt the existence of God because I wondered if there is really a God, why is this still happening? Like why could, a, how could a God who loves us <laughs> unconditionally and eternally also, you know, allow this kind of evil to happen in, in, in our country and in our lives and in, in the church. And, 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 um, and so for, yeah, for about a year, year or two, I just decided, no, okay, I don't believe him. I don't believe that there's a God then because I cannot comprehend how a, a loving God could allow this to happen at the same time. Um, and you know, I was raised in a very conservative Christian home. I was homeschooled. Um, we weren't allowed to watch Disney movies. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't watch TV. We did like adventures in Odyssey. Come and, on, that's right. Let's go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I mean, I was, um, and you know, we were t- taught all of the, the, the tenets of a, of living a good Christian life. And so in that first couple of years, I sort of turned my back and I said, well, it doesn't really matter anymore. Um, And then what was what was happening and it was a theme over and over and over and over and over and over again. I would go to the detention center. I would pick someone up who had just been released. And as we were taking the first steps of their freedom, because they had been detained maybe for six months or maybe for a year or maybe for three years, they were in this prison. And I mean, when we say immigrant detention centers, they are absolutely prisons. Um, they they are wear a prison jumpsuit while they're in the detention. They, the windows are blacked out so they cannot look outside and see the sky. There's no access to go outside and, and walk around on a, on a track or feel the sun on your skin. And, and I was meeting person after person after person who had just survived this horrific experience. And as we were taking the first steps out of the detention center, 99% of the people that I've met 
they will look up to the sky, to heaven, and they will say, thank you, God, in whatever language that they speak, whether that's Spanish or French or Hindi, whatever it is, the first words out of most of the folks that I've met who have been detained, the first words that they say are, thank you, God. And, and I started wondering, wait a minute, like I am witnessing their suffering, but they are the ones (laughs) suffering more than, than, than I am. I had my freedom. I had my ability to do whatever I wanted. I could get in the car. I could go out to eat. I could go to a concert. Right. And they still have that kind of faith. That is what actually pulled me back into uh, living and believing a, a real faith, a real that there is a God. And, and at the end of the day, I still cannot, you know, understand all the older I get, the less I know. But witnessing um, people who have been truly persecuted, I mean, even for their religion, uh, there was a guy a couple years ago who stayed at the Casa who converted to Christianity in his home country. And the locals were not happy about this news. They did not appreciate him turn, giving his life to Christ. And they tried to kill him. And they basically beat him up and left him for dead. And and someone from a local church happened to walk past his body and realized that he was actually still breathing and they brought him to the church and they nursed him back to health. And throughout the few months that it took for him to regain his strength, um, the, the folks who thought that they had killed him actually, um, found out he was still alive and they were sending letters to the church saying, if we see him again, we will kill him. We didn't get him the first time, but we will get him the second time. And that's when he realized he would never be safe at home anymore. And he had to leave and he had to find safety. So here's this man, Mohammed is his name. Here's this man, Mohammed, who has seen something special about the church, about the Christian church and devoted his life to it and was almost killed because of it. And now I have this honor of hosting him in, in my home and learning from him um, you know, he was literally willing to die for, for his faith. Um, and when you're surrounded by people like that day in and day out, it, you can't ignore it. You can't just, Oh, that's just a one-time thing. I mean, that is, that is the thing. (laughs) Yeah. That's so amazing. If you were, um, just kind of, if there were anything that you could add, I guess, if there's somebody who's listening, who's maybe kind of faltering in their faith, um, similarly to you, Maybe they don't have the opportunity to be around people, but they were just kind of faltering in faith. Is there anything that you would just say to them to encourage encourage their faith journey? You know, one of the most precious things that I I hold so dear are friends that I have with all different kinds of backgrounds and perspectives that I feel safe with that I can ask questions that I'm embarrassed to ask because I know they're, you know, they may not sound like something you would be proud of to have a thought in your mind like that. Or you may be nervous to be ridiculed for something that you have a question about. 
And there are a very few amount of people in this world who I know I can tell pretty much anything to and get their advice or ask a question and, and they, and it's a safe place that could be your, someone in your family. But for a lot of folks, that's not a safe place to turn with your questions. It could be a barista at a local coffee shop. It could be the librarian. It could be the, you know, the, the person who, who does maintenance, um, you know, in in your dorm room or whatever. Um, but when you find someone who you can trust and that you can ask those deep, difficult questions, those are just like we were talking about earlier. I feel like my intuition was a gift that God has given me those friends, keep them around and, and appreciate that because, um, you know, even if you have only one person who you can, can feel safe enough with to go there, that's, um, that's enough. One person that you really feel safe with, that's enough. Yeah, that's, that's amazing advice. Um, I kind of wanted to um, just ask this question because I was reading, um, I can't remember exactly the page, but I was kind of um, struck by a paragraph when you were talking about um, when you went down and saw the other kind of the house that you like built your um, ministry on. And I think his name's Anton, uh, but you, I was really struck kind of at the end of that section when you were talking about it. Um, you mentioned, he kind of talked about, I was like, um, like you should be living your vision out right now. Um, and if you could kind of um, just tell us a little bit, maybe um, what he said to you and why that um, really stuck out to you. But also could you say to people who are maybe feeling this burden and maybe it's for immigrants or maybe it's for something else, how could they start, similarly to the way you did at that time. Yeah. So Anton is one of those dear friends that I know I can ask any question to. (laughs) And um, he, he started a hospitality home called El Refugio, which means the refuge in Georgia. And when I, when I had this sort of little baby idea in my brain to do something similar, I asked him if I could come down to Georgia and spend a few days learning from him and seeing how they operate and, and how do they do volunteer trainings and how do they do cleaning when a guest leaves? I mean, just everything from A to Z. And as I was there, I am a very list and task oriented person. Give me a list of a hundred things to do and I will get it done. Um, that's kind of how I, yeah. (laughs) So, so, um, but what Anton told me was very different than what I had imagined him, the advice that he he gave me, because, you know, I'm thinking, oh, I want to start this thing. He's going to give me an outline of 10 things to do, 10 things not to do, but his encouragement was live out the, the vision that you see. And it does not matter if anyone ever comes alongside of you and catches onto that vision. It just doesn't. Because at the end of the day, you are going to remain true and, and faithful to the calling that God has given you, Sarah Jackson. And when, when you start having ideas of something that you want to begin to, to, you know, maybe, maybe start a a business or a nonprofit or a ministry or a club or whatever. I think a lot of times for me, at least I get overwhelmed by, 
oh, well, there's going to be all of these things we have to do. And what about, you know, the bylaws and that, I mean, all of these little tiny things. But, but really, at the end of the day, Anton said, live out your calling. And if people come alongside you, it will be contagious. They will see that what you have, that you being obedient to your calling is um, is irresistible, and they will want to be a part of that if it speaks to them, because it might not speak to them, right? Like you said, some people may find inspiration and a calling in immigrant rights. Some may find that with, uh, you know, um, unwed mothers. I mean, there's all different kinds of, of areas that that we can invest our time in. And, and they're not all the same, which is a great thing because then, you know, then, then God is able to use us in a great, greater way. And, and Anton was right. I, I very much am grateful that I believe God has given us a very clear, given me a very clear vision of why I was created. And I followed that and people did come alongside and, and that might be the case, you know, for, for someone listening now where, where people come alongside and, and they they want to join you and support you, and then at other times it can be a very lonely, uh, you know, lonely experience. But even if it's a lonely experience, if you know that you are following the the um, the calling in your life, it's it can it's a fulfilling experience. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's yeah, fantastic. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so as we kind of wrap up, we've so enjoyed having you and we want to know, is there ways on social media perhaps, or just your personal email, um, that our listeners could reach out and support you, keep up with what you're doing and perhaps chat with you if they, um, find, find that necessary. Yeah. So we have a website, casadepazcolorado.org, um, C-A-S-A-D-E-P-A-Z, Colorado. Dot org, And on there, you can find the links to all our social media pages. Um, I know that this is a podcast for young adults and young adults are y'all are like super like savvy with social media. So please <laughs> don't like on Instagram if I do the wrong hashtag, like I get it. <laughs> It's just not my sweet spot. Actually, what's funny, last night I was Googling, like, how to use each platform. Like, when do I put it on Twitter? <laughs> when do I put it on Instagram? When do I put it on Facebook? Like, Relatable. Snapchat? Like, <laughs> that's yeah, the only could... reason I have a job is because I know the difference. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm like. How do you even know? Do you put it on the same? It's just so, yes, I'm... So if y'all start following us on social media and you have any tips or tricks from the young adult crowd, please feel free to reach out and let me know. I'm very happy to hear that. Um, and then, yeah, there's actually my email address is on the website, too. So if you ever have any follow up questions or you want to chat, feel free to reach out. Very, very happy to have this conversation and very proud for y'all engaging with this conversation, because for me, I didn't hear about immigrant detention centers or immigration or asylum until I was in my mid twenties. So the so I'm really uh, proud for you to uh, want to learn about this and devote uh, your time to it. I mean, there's so many things that call the attention of our time these days. So thank you for for taking the time to listen. And like I said, I'm very happy to keep following along with you on your journey. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much um, for your faithfulness just in in your own servitude um, and then also just um, having the time to come and speak with us about your ministry. And we've so enjoyed having you, Sarah. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. And I heard, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard that Kansas has some really good barbecue. Is that right? Yep, Kansas City. You know, unfortunately, we're kind of in the middle of nowhere, so the barbecue pickings are slim. <laughs> but okay. if you head a couple hours <laughs> and hit Kansas City, it starts to get real good. <laughs> if you find, if you come over to my house, we'll have some good yeah, barbecue. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Done. Done. I'm there. Well, once we can start traveling again. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thank you for listening to today's Encounter YA podcast. Be sure to enter our giveaway on our Instagram at Encounter underscore C3 to win a copy of The House That Love Built. Tune in next week for another episode of the Encounter YA podcast. But by the time that I hit retirement age-ish... Uh, we could see everybody reached, the entire world reached, if we're all focused on this plan of discipleship. And that's what Jesus is talking about. That's why he's saying, go to all nations. Everybody needs to hear the hope of the gospel, and we can do this thing. And that's really what um, I'm excited about, because I think those movements can start here. And it can start in your house, and it can start in a coffee shop. It can start with a conversation after church. It doesn't have to be this huge, big, grandiose thing. It can simply start with just being a friend and telling somebody what God is teaching you and going from there.